Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the NBA Podcast. We are 1.5 weeks into the regular season of 2016-17, and we've got some really good stories to talk about today. Uh, Before we get started, be sure to check us out on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find all three of our Twitter handles in the bio there. Be sure to give us a follow as well. You can also check us out on iTunes. We'd love you to give some five-star reviews, leave any feedback. We're open to everything, uh, and you can also, we're being hosted this year on Today's Fast Break, so give them a follow at Today's Fast Break, and check us out on their website as well. Joining me today, as always, are Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. How's it going, guys? It's going great, Brian. Six players in the NBA are averaging over 30. How could I complain? <laughs> there you go. And Sarah, your spurs are rolling, as usual. I'm sure you're doing pretty well. Doing all right, yeah. It's good to hear. So I'm just coming back. From- Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid seven twenty. 9 to 811 select styles excludes in-store clearance from a chicago cubs championship parade like to give a shout out to all of our chicago fans for snapping 108 years of misery as i tweeted wednesday night i'm hoping the philadelphia eagles are next on that list so let's get started i think the big story of the week obviously is russell westbrook kevin durant they, uh, OKC beats the Clippers on Wednesday. They come to Golden State on Thursday. And for a while, it, they start out, OKC is rolling. Jeremy Grant decides to instigate Kevin Durant, which proves to be a very bad decision. And then Kevin Durant goes nuclear, and the Warriors annihilate the Thunder. Two nights after, they annihilated the Blazers. So guys... I think it's safe to say the Warriors are who they th- we thought they were, a very good team, the championship favorite. Are we surprised that they're meshing this quickly? I don't think so. We talked about this at, at, at an earlier point because, as you know, Kevin Durant is, is a guy who can score off the ball a lot. Like, he drains seven threes. Um, he, his ability to, to move without the basketball, not taking up a whole bunch of possession, made it a little bit more seamless. And I know you guys are going to note the lack of Andrew Bogut, and you're right about it. But I just overall, I, I think it is a minor hiccup that they're going to 
beat out pretty handsomely. Um, they're rolling right now. They're looking real good. Like Kevin Durant, like who, did any one of you expect him to score at this high clip joining the Warriors? No. I, I mean, I know it's not sustainable, but still, it kind of surprised me that he's above 30. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's above Steph, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's even with Steph pouring in 23 points in the third quarter against Portland. So, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> we said, you're right, we're, we did talk about this earlier, how the Warriors had their core in place. They lost a bunch of complimentary guys, but Steph, Clay, and Draymond were still there. So it's not like the 2010-11 Miami Heat where you were building a team from the ground up. That said, I mean, my God, Kevin Durant, in this system, like we're already seeing how unfair it is. And, you know, there was panic in the streets when the Spurs beat them in the first game. And then where they kind of look lackluster in their next two, but Oh boy, it's, it's not going to be fun to play this team come January or February once they really get rolling. And we got to see JaVel McGee on Thursday night. <laughs> so we're all winners here. Uh, Sarah, do you have any concerns about the Warriors right now, or you think they are just going to start rolling through the regular season? I mean, they're probably going to roll. I would, I will say, I don't really think they're meshing yet, um, which sounds crazy because they did just blow up over two teams. But I, I kind of feel like they're riding the hot hand more than they are meshing. Um, mm-hmm. Steph went off in the third quarter against Portland, and then KD was ridiculous uh last night so they're kind of doing that more which there's something to be said for that um but as far as meshing to where i think they want to be they still have a lot of room to improve and yeah that's frankly terrifying um (laughs) i mean (laughs) yeah i mean they still are the slight concerns about when a team can match up with them pretty well is is the rebounding going to be an issue uh and the lack of rim protection but um, I think Durant is a big key to a lot of that because, as we saw last night, when he's engaged on both sides, mm-hmm. they're much, much better. So that's really the best I think we've seen him defend so far this season. And I think they need him to do that, especially um, come late in the season. So those are the, those are the small question marks. But, yeah, that, I mean, we're not too worried about any of those, are we? No, no, I think it's safe to say we are picking nits here. Uh, and, you know, we, Morton, you had them pegged as a 70-win team. I'm guessing you are not coming off of that after this week. Nope. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, look, they, they they could end up having, like, you know, 11 losses by the All-Star break, and I'll still stick to it. <laughs> I don't care. I, I think they're going to do it. And. You know, I get I get the concerns, like Sarah alluded to, and and I also I think you're right, Sarah, about the fact that right now they're re- they're recognizing the hot hand, which isn't necessarily saying they're meshing, but I do appreciate how they actually recognize it and mm-hmm. and are willing to give up shots though, mm-hmm. because a lot of times we see players come together and they are looking for this role. They're, hey, I'm used to getting this amount of shots, but it seems like the Warriors are just letting Durant be Durant. And if that means feeding the hot hand, then kind of so be it. And it's working out pretty well so far. But yeah, I would agree that there are still some some things here and there that could be ironed out. But I mean, gosh, even if they don't iron that out, they're still looking pretty damn good. Yeah. 
I mean, what's scary is that Clay Thompson hasn't really even gotten going yet. He's been admired in a pretty bad slump to start the year, and he started to break out of it a little bit against the Thunder. But, I mean, you know, they're already laying waste to, theoretically, two of their toughest challengers in the West when it's really kind of just the Stephen Durant show, and then Dre is doing his kind of fill-up-the-box score thing. But, Clay, you know, Clay is not the lethal three-point sniper that we've known him to be. So... If he gets 10.7% going into last night. Yeah. 10.7% from downtown. Yeah. I mean, wow. I, I was I was under the impression that he was going to be, like, hot from the get-go because right. of all the open shots. Yeah, and that's what he said. He said he wasn't going to have to sacrifice. He's just going to get a bunch of open shots. And I mean, I think he is, and I think he's just missing a lot that he usually hits. So, you know. He's too it, open. Yeah, right, right. He's not used to... It's like the J.R. Smith corollary. You need to be <laughs> swamp-covered, like just a hand in your <laughs> face, and then you will hit like a ridiculous fadeaway three. But if you are wide open, it's a little too easy for him. So, yeah, I think I think it's safe to say we're all uh, terrified of the Warriors already. So it was... Those first 1.5 weeks were fun, but it's now time for the Warriors just to... Rampage through the league. The only team that can stop them, it looks like, are the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are the league's last undefeated team uh, after two kind of barn burners against Houston and Boston, where they each team scored 120 in both games. So, uh, Morton, I'm going to start with you for this one. What do you think the biggest surprise in Cleveland is? Kevin Love regaining his touch. Or not... You know what? That's actually unfair of me, but just... Accepting the role and then flourishing within it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there wasn't really anything lined up for him to be dramatically different this year as opposed to last year. But somehow it's become more of a two-man game between he and Kyrie. And then LeBron is actually doing Draymond stuff, it yeah. feels like. He's just he's just going through the motions a little bit. I don't mean that in a negative way. He's just like, okay, here here's a jump shot. I'll take it. Here's an open rebound. Fine, I'll I'll, I'll slide in and grab it. Oh, open lane to the basket for for Kyrie on the other side. I'll I'll swing the ball. Like he's just he's like the engine, but it seems like that allows Love and Kyrie to play this two man game and gives Kevin a lot more of responsibility, which I think he's been seeking for the last two years. So it's nice to see Love regaining a little bit of that, uh, not superstardom, but stardom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's you know he. We saw it starting even in the NBA Finals and really in the playoffs last year. He had these games where he would blow up and then kind of fade away. And maybe that last-second defense on Steph gave him this newfound confidence. Like, oh, I am a valued member of this team. They really do need me to win a championship. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, he's hit the ground running this year. It's amazing. I I don't think we have to worry about any uh, LeBron James subtweets at Kevin Love in February this year. Uh, Not yet. Yeah, well, right, true. I guess it's a little early to rule that out entirely. Uh, Sarah, has anything caught your eye in Cleveland? It's just kind of piggybacking on what Morton said, but I I love that Kyrie is is the leading scorer right now, Mm -hmm. and and LeBron is kind of quarterbacking. (laughs) I think that's perfect for them. Let Kyrie be the scoring guard that he's so adept at being, and let LeBron just kind of do all the little things and get other people involved, I think. That's been a big part too, and and Kevin Love. I mean, they're actually looking for him a little bit more. They're you know they're finding him in transition, uh, trailing the break for three. 
LeBron is, is finding him um, in the corner. And then I saw him get at least a couple touches kind of in the mid-post wing area, and then they're clearing out the floor for him. If he could just get, like, a couple of those per game, how much that can do for his confidence as well and mm-hmm. rhythm. So that's that's been the biggest thing for me. What's funny is looking at them and looking at the Warriors, just very early in the season, obviously, but it almost looks like you would think that the Cavs were the team that lost in the finals because they look focused. Mm-hmm. And the Warriors, it's probably not fair. It's just that we're so used to seeing them be completely confident about everything. And, right. and now that's kind of lacking a little bit. They don't have the edge that I expected them to have until Jeremy Grant pissed off Kevin Durant last night. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But yeah, so that, that's been the interesting thing for me. But they look good. They look really good. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, we, we talked about it when we talked about the Warriors, just how they have you know, they, they lost a lot of pieces. They got through it. They're adjusting to a new system, whereas the Cavs basically brought back the band minus Mo Williams. So seeing them flourish early isn't necessarily a huge surprise. I agree with both of you that the the success of Love and Kyrie is the most encouraging thing if you're a Cleveland fan because it's not just LeBron is carrying your team now. It's, I mean, uh, Kyrie especially, like, I forget – who wrote it on Bleacher Report? I want to say it was Kevin Ding, maybe. He had this article about how uh, Kyrie and LeBron could be, like, the next Kobe and Shaq, except, so, like, LeBron is Shaq and Kyrie is Kobe, except LeBron is humble enough and confident enough within himself to be willing to take this back seat and boost Kyrie up to the level of, you know, you aren't just a sidekick. You are my equal. You are, I need you to lead this team in scoring. Uh, whereas Shaq and Kobe, they kind of butted heads about who's like the alpha dog of this team. Like, it seems like Cleveland's cool with having two or even, you know, Kevin Love, three alphas. So, you know, it's I'm very impressed with what I've seen. Kobe played defense. <laughs> Harsh. I'll just point that out. Harsh. That's well, well, come on. Look, here's the thing. What I've been looking for, you know, from Kyrie has been the developing defense. And I'll admit he's not as bad as he was during his rookie season. But that's saying a lot, given that this is his sixth season. Mm-hmm. Like, he has not moved the needle a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm missing that last element. I know people are crowning him. Like, Oh, MVP candidate, and he he's an he's an All Star game MVP, and all these things, right? An All NBA type of guy. I really am missing that last part of his game. Like he's got the athleticism, he's got the quick hands, the quick feet, and and Lord knows he's got the IQ. He's a smart basketball player. Yeah, I just do not comprehend why he cannot assert himself a little bit more defensively and not pick up schemes on the defensive end a little bit more. Um, it, it really dumbfounds me. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a fair point that, you know, even as good as the Cavs look, there is still obvious room for improvement there, especially from Kyrie on defense, and that could turn them from, you know, I think a, a grand majority of people picked the Warriors this year to knock off the Cavs, but based on what we've seen in this first week and a half, I don't know that it's going to be a blowout necessarily. I think you still would pick the Warriors to be favorites, but... You know, it's it's not impossible that Cleveland could beat them and perhaps even come back from another 3-1 lead because now their 3-1 lead karma is gone. 
What up, he Chicago? What up, Chicago? Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say, I saw a lot of people saying like, oh, well, now that Cleveland blew a 3-1 lead, you know, the, those memes are over. They're twice as funny now because yeah. now two cities blew a 3-1 lead. And even even if like Cleveland, if you're saying Cleveland can't make those jokes anymore, they absolutely can because the Cubs were favored going into that series. They were the better team. Cleveland's pitching rotation was completely depleted. It is not a surprise that they won. The Cavs dethroned a 73-win team, a team that set the NBA record for regular season wins, mm. were down 3-1 and came back and upset. So I don't care that the Indians lost. Clevelanders, you could still make those jokes at Bay Area people for the rest of your lives because they're going to be salty about that title for the rest of their lives. So go on. Go keep making those 3-1 jokes. And for the rest of us who don't care about Cleveland or Golden State, we've got twice the ammo. I'm coming from Chicago right now. I'm thrilled that this happened because I don't ever want 3-1 jokes to die. So... Uh, <laughs> Now that now that that's off my chest, let's go. Ray <laughs> Allen uh, officially retired this week. He announced his retirement in the Players Tribune, and it led to an awesome reaction. I think from Rajon Rondo, who was like, "Wait, he's not already retired." So, uh, Sarah, I'm going to start with you for your favorite Ray Allen memory because I I have a feeling it's not going to be the same one <laughs> as most people have. Yeah, I don't have a favorite Ray Allen memory. <laughs> I'm sure he did some fun things with the Celtics. I, I really don't remember anything specifically. Uh, even back to the Sonics, if I had a memory of him playing with the Sonics, I would probably pick that just because I miss the Sonics. Um, but no, I think a better tribute to him is my least favorite memory, of course. Uh, the fact that he stuck a poker out of the fire right through my heart. Um, it is a better tribute to him as a player than than anything that he took championship number six out of Timmy's trophy case Um, yeah (laughs) you guys know (laughs) I I can't even talk about it but yeah I I think that would be a better thing a better compliment to him is how much I dislike him for that one play so that's totally fair Uh, yeah I I think (laughs) You know, that, that's going to be the play that goes on. You know, he had a legendary career. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. But that one play is going to be the one that defines him because it's one of the cl- most clutch shots in NBA Finals history. I mean, that that could have easily rewrote the narrative of LeBron James's career because he had just missed a three-pointer 30 seconds before. And, it you know, it, it gave the heat. Like, if they don't win again, if they lose in the Finals uh, in two straight no, they won before. So if they lose two out of three, you know, who knows? I mean, they broke up a year later anyway, but who knows if they, you know, they trade Chris Bosch or something. So definitely, uh, definitely the defining play of Ray Allen's career. And I'm not sure if you guys read um, ESPN.com's Tom Haberstroh had a really good story once Allen retired about uh, like kind of just how insane he was about his practice routine. And there was a thing where he would be like laying down on the court. He would jump up, sprint to the three court line, turn around, fire a shot or like receive a pass, fire a shot without actually looking down to see if he was between the three point line and uh, out of bounds. And then Haversho's like, yeah. And then nine months later, he hits that shot in the finals. And it's like, this guy is a maniacal freak when it comes to preparation, but like, it paid off. So I think 
you know, I, I, frankly, I, I, that story, I think, is probably my favorite memory of him. The fact that he's just that freaking crazy and that he was that devoted to perfecting his craft. Like, before Steph Curry came along, I think Ray Allen was, you know, up there toward the consensus best shooters in the NBA, uh, or in NBA history, I should say. So, Mort, do you have a, another favorite memory, or are you going to also drive the dagger in Sarah's heart a little deeper? <laughs> December 26th, 2000, the year 2000. My second NBA game that I attended in Milwaukee. I was 14. And it's it wasn't a special game per se. Ray ended up with 25. He got hot in the fourth and brought home the victory over the Orlando Magic with the first year Tracy McGrady going on. <clears throat> so it wasn't anything special, but, you know... When I have had the chance to watch Ray play in person just once, I gotta go with that experience. I just, I can't. I look. I understand the significance of the the game six shot, and I was sitting there like my jaw was dropping. But <laughs> sitting in the Bradley Center and and feeling that the game was kind of slipping away a little bit, and Ray just took over and started draining threes, and and went to the cub and and just took over. It was just like okay. He was just waiting. He was waiting, and we had Tracy McGrady just going balls out. He he was, he was really desperately trying to get Orlando that victory, and then Ray just calmly, silently just stepped into a three here, stepped into another three here, drove to the basket, got a couple of free throws, made the correct defensive rotations, passed the ball a little bit. He was just so calm. It was I, I'll never forget that. That was just a typical Ray Allen night. And then afterwards, he was being interviewed, and was like, "Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm reaching that point where I can look at the calendar and know that's a win right there." Like, oh like his gosh. confidence was over. Yeah, his confidence was really, really uh, high. And I don't think anyone really gave Ray credit for his, for his confidence. And I, I, I want to say ego because, but then again, ego is very like negatively connected, mm-hmm. but he had a big ego in a positive sense. Like he had a very big belief in what he could do. Yeah. Like all the, the training regimen that you talked about, Brian, I, I, I think he fully understood like what was the, the responsibility put on his shoulders. And I, I think he accepted it and knew that, yeah, he was, he was going to win out in, in the end. And Hey, two championships later, I mean, he wasn't wrong. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It goes to show. Hard work pays off sometimes. Uh, so another big story, you know, we're recording this on Friday, November 4th. The city of Chicago has forgotten about this because 5 million people were downtown today, drunk in Grant Park. Uh, but Derek Rose and Joakim Noah are coming back tonight as their first appearance, not in a Bulls uniform. The Knicks are coming to Chicago. So let's, I want to talk briefly about both of these teams first. Morton, what's happening with the Bulls? Are, are they actually good? I wish I knew. <laughs> I have no idea. I am a very confused man at this point in time because I hated what they did overall during the summer. And right now they are... I don't want to say they're proving my ass wrong because it's so early in the season, but they're laying the groundwork to proving my ass wrong. And I my ass isn't sure what to feel right now. <laughs> That's kind of the major problem. I don't know whether my ass wants to, wants them to succeed or fail, but 
Hey, hats off to Dwayne Wade. He looks great. Yes. Like, really, really great. And I think he will have a very positive influence on Jimmy Butler when everything is said and done. Like, man, did you see that crossover he pulled on in in uh, in Brooklyn? Mm-hmm. On, on oh, who was it? Was it Bogdanovich? No. Who was it? I don't even remember right now. Yeah, I don't remember either. No, but... He had he, he he was just trying to display. I still got some legs left. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I uh, you know I mentioned last week that I was going to the Bulls Pacers game on Saturday night. So I think you know Dwayne looks great. Jimmy looks great. Uh, Robin Lopez. We talked about him over the summer. He's just a perfect fit for the Bulls. Like I don't know why people were so underwhelmed. <laughs> when they traded Derrick Rose and got him back because he's like a perfectly capable starting center on what is a dirt cheap contract under this new salary cap. So that's like, that is such a addition of value to the Bulls. You know, it, it, I don't understand the backlash to it then. And especially, I, I haven't heard any now because people are like, oh, he's actually really good. But the two guys who stood out to me, uh, both in that Bulls-Pacers game and then just throughout the first week and a half of the season... One is Taj Gibson, because, you know, we, we've been talking, everyone's been talking about, you know, the Bulls don't have spacing. How are they going to shoot? And, <laughs> and they still don't. I mean, like, <laughs> Butler and Wade have been hot from deep early, but I think in that Pacers game, uh, the starters didn't hit a single three all night. But Taj is really working that mid-range game well, and it's like, it's almost automatic for him at this point, to the point where, you know... It's not you can't just send five people right around the basket. Like you have to respect all like all of those guys have a mid range jumper. So the fact like no, they're not strong three point shooters, but the you know, the spacing isn't as bad as we anticipated early. Also, shout out to Doug McDermott, because he's been on fire. I mean, he missed the game Wednesday against the Celtics. He was had uh concussion symptoms and he's in the concussion protocol right now. But, you know, against the Pacers, he just lit him up. It was amazing. Uh, you know, if if, if he develops that confidence and, like, turns into the type of scorer that he was in college, we have to rethink our position on the Bulls. Like, I think all three of us picked them to miss the playoffs this year. Yeah. I, I mean, right now, you know, like, a lot of us had the Wizards at number eight. The Wizards look awful. Like, I, I think if I redid my predictions right now, I would put the Bulls in at number eight. I think you're right. I think you're right. And and you're also right about Doc McDermott. Did you know he had a block and a steal in the same game? <laughs> I didn't for know that Dougie, was allowed. <laughs> for, for Dougie, that's amazing because for his career, he only has 19 steals and 8 blocks. Oh my god. He's like notoriously bad at picking up defensive stats. So... Like for the Bull, I remember Bulls fans on Twitter were going insane. They didn't even care about the scoring. It was like Doug had a steal and a block <laughs> in one game. That you, all right, this is it. We're winning the goddamn title. Yeah, like, there's no coming back now. We're we're going for it because <laughs> no, it's, it's it's great fun though. But but I agree. He's he's becoming like this effective six man, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what we thought was missing. I mean, again, the concerns about the spacing, you have to rethink that if McDermott is reliable from three off the bench, if Nico is hitting threes off the bench, Isaiah Kanan, like, no one factored him in. And I mean, I 
had two years watching him as a Sixers guy. Like he doesn't do much except for shoot threes. But if you're feet, if you have the guys to feed him, and he all like, and he could just get catch and shoot threes, he can do that. So the Bulls have spacing. It's just all buried on their bench. But yeah, their depth, especially this year, like it's going to help them win games that they otherwise have no business winning. So I think it's safe to say we were all too low on the bulls. I'm not going to crown them yet. You know, I, again, I would put them in the playoffs if I was making predictions today, but that said season is still very early. We don't need to jump to conclusions. I think we can jump to conclusions about their opponent on Friday though. The New York Knicks (laughs) are a tire fire already. Uh, Porzingis against Detroit gets benched in the fourth quarter for most of the fourth quarter. Afterward, Jeff Hornacek says he's concerned about Porzingis on defense. Uh, The next night, he goes out and scores three points on 0-4 shooting against Houston. Uh, Against Houston, a team that does not play defense, they only scored 99 points. And then afterward... I believe it was Courtney Lee who came out and said, uh, you know, we in the practice or in practices, we only practice against the triangle. So we don't practice against normal pick and roll sets and post-ups. And we don't, we, we only practice against this archaic offense that we're the only ones really running to its full extent. So I think we need to start, uh, you know, (laughs) have a scout team that actually runs what every other team runs. So, Sarah, do you think there's any hope for the Knicks this year? And particularly, are they now, I don't want to say ruining Porzingis, because I think he'll be fine long term, but are they wasting a year of Porzingis' development? Well, I'm going to hope that they aren't going to do that for the rest of the year. I hope that they're going to figure out how to get him the ball a little more. Um, I was going to say, if they have any hope, that would be it. They definitely mm-hmm. need to feature him a lot more. Uh, of course, you know, whatever, there might be issues on the defensive end, but he's a guy that you need on the floor. Um, I also hope to see them, like we talked about uh, in the preview a little bit, perhaps they could be successful, you know, working out of the post with Carmelo and running rows off of that, running him through the lane, or, you know, there's things that they can try to do to be creative about it. Um you know, that going back to Chicago, I think that maybe that's what we overlooked. You know, we were all really analytical about it and worried about their spacing and their shooting. But, I mean, granted, the comparison isn't perfect, but, um, you know, the Spurs won 67 games last year and they did not make very many threes. Uh, a lot of that is operating out of the mid-range. So there is, you know, some success to be mined out of that area of the floor that we don't want to look at very much anymore. Um but yeah, they got they got to get it together. Uh, I'm I'm not ready to say that they're going to waste the whole year, but then again, they are the Knicks, so they're certainly <laughs> capable of doing that. Hopefully not, though. Yeah, they sure are. I mean, I think the common denominator here in both the Bulls' success and the Knicks' struggles, Morton. I'm sorry to say it, but I think it's Derrick Rose. I mean, he's you know seeing. Rondo, we you know we all voice concerns about Rajon Rondo as a long term part of the Bulls' future, and he can't shoot, and he's very uh, you know I don't want to say he's mediocre on defense. He's a good defender. He just doesn't always try. Um, 
but he is a true facilitator. And watching him run the Bulls' offense, like watching his his patented like just dribble up to the half court line and then just throw this insane lob right to the basket where only Taj or Nico or Jimmy can get it. Comparing that to Derrick Rose, where it's like dribble around the perimeter, have no chance of shooting a three, dribble into three guys, turn it over, or take an awful shot. Like it makes me wonder. You know, I think we talked about this in the Atlantic preview. Is Brandon Jennings going to start over Derrick Rose at some point this year? And based on what I've seen from Derrick in the first uh, week and a half, I mean, he shows these flashes where it looks like him, his old self, but he's just not the type of facilitator, especially that the triangle offense needs. You know, you need a point guard who can either pass well or shoot well. He is neither. So. I, I think it's only going to get worse before it gets better, Nick fans. And Andy Glockner of the Cauldron has referred to this year as sneaky tanking, uh, where you sign a bunch of these big-name guys, but they actually don't fit all that well together. And so you're really just trying to get Chris Paul to sign next year. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I think that could unintentionally be what's happening here. Well, you know, first of all, I don't understand why you need to be uh, sorry because I agree. I agree entirely. I'm not. I'm not in 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 denial as many other Bulls fans are in regards to Derrick Rose. He's gone. He's in New York. Um, I, I mean, I appreciate what he did while he was in Chicago, but hey, you know, he, he's he's moved on and his faults remain in, within his 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 play. I'm not gonna sit here and say he doesn't do all those things because he does. He over dribbles. He passes too little. His defense defense is way too shaky, and he 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 won't admit this. He is in fact always trying to say that he doesn't, but he is going after the highlight bang bang play. He just is. That's part of his game. That's what he does. I mean, and and I think that would have been fine had he not had all the injuries because he could sustain those plays at that point in time. Now, no, no, not anymore. What I will disagree with you about is Rashawn Rondo. Like, I agree with you that in this small sample size that has been this season, he's overall been decently. But don't forget that he was the league's worst transition player last year by a mile, by a freaking mile. Whenever the, the offense was sped up, he just he turned it over. He had one of the lowest free throw rates, one of the lowest efficiency shots, it was he was horrible in the transition game, so right now while he's done fairly well, I am not yet confident in his ability to maintain that production. So from my end, I'm sitting here thinking I want neither. Mm. I don't want Rondo or Rose because I think both have tremendous holes in their games. If you could merge them, however, yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, we we need to do some like weird science stuff where we could just kind of. So there, or I guess like human caterpillar, where you just sew them together. And, oh yeah, and then add Jennings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, perfect. All right, good. Yeah, there we go. Right. Between the three of them, they might have one functional ACL and meniscus. That'd be good. Oh, too soon, oh, Brian. That's, that was that was harsh. <laughs> All right. Well, harsh. with that in mind, we're going to jump right to our "Where Amazing Happened" segment. Now that we brought up the human caterpillar on an NBA podcast, <laughs> 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 so. I mean, I, the first one we don't need to talk about. We just need to mention it. So the, the Cavs, or at least LeBron and J.R. Smith, go to Game 7 of the World Series on Wednesday. Uh, the Cubs jump out to a 5-1 lead. Uh, the Indians trim the lead. 
Cubs hit a home run. It's six to three. Jr. takes his shirt off because yeah, <laughs> we just need we need shirtless Jr. everywhere. The Indians proceed to tie the game in the eighth inning, and then a rain delay happens, only adding to the theater of the absurd. So just shout out to Jr. Smith. I want you in every big Cleveland moment from here until the day you die, and I need you to take your shirt off midway through. Like if the Browns are ever in the Super Bowl in February, and it's in like. I, you know, some cold weather city. Sure. Put it in Cleveland. Even I need it to be negative 20 degrees. I need J.R. Smith shirtless halfway through the game. Uh, <laughs> on, a, on a slightly more serious note. So Stan Van Gundy gives, uh, he spoke, I believe Monday, uh, about resting players and how he didn't buy into it, especially this early in the season. He uh, basically just called out opposing coaches who did it. He's like, these guys get paid to play 82 games. If they're available, they're going to play. And if, like, why are they tired already? We're a week and a half into the season. So because you you two have uh, allegiances that might make you polar opposites here, Sarah, I'm going to start with you because Greg Popovich is probably, frankly, the guy who most liberally rests his players, even if it's a national TV game say so do you buy svg's comments at all oh i'll be right back because i have to go throw up because (laughs) you're mentioning the human caterpillar um i never saw any of those movies but i've seen enough of the imagery and i can't get that out of my head now so thank you ryan my bad sorry about that feel the bile rising in my throat anyway um (laughs) i think you know I mean, he said at the beginning of his comments that it's up to each coach, and he probably should have left it at that, but then (laughs) he he felt like he needed to defend himself a little more, apparently. Um, I mean, why why are we resting guys this early? Because Manu Ginobili's 39 freaking years old, and Tony Parker might as well be for all the basketball that he's got on his legs. So, frankly, they can't play back-to-backs really anymore. That's just the way that is. So, I mean, <laughs> that's fine if he wants to play his guys. Um, like I said, I, th- I don't think any coach should really be criticized for it, but it's going to be part of the conversation now because, you know, it's sort of taken off because Pop's done it so much and, and other coaches are doing it now. I mean, you should be able to say most coaches probably, they know their players better than anybody else, so they should be able to make that decision. But... There are some coaches who, you know, they're more in tune to actual basketball stuff. So maybe they're not as worried about a guy's body. I will say it's amazing how many people are employed by teams now to monitor that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I assume that they're all in pretty good hands, I would hope. Um, but yeah, it's just it should be up to each coach. Um, like I, said, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. If you want to do it or not do it, that's fine. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a fair argument to make. Uh, Morton, you know, you have experience with Mr. Tom Thibodeau, who mm-hmm. had the reputation of overplaying his players, or especially, well, we, we talked about this before, not necessarily all of his players. He was actually kind of cautious uh, with Joe and Derek specifically, but Luol Deng is now 50 in a 30-year-old's body, and Jimmy Butler also played, you know, upwards of 40 minutes a night, uh, most of the time under tips. So, 
do you buy what SVG said, or are you more in Sarah's camp that it should be up to each coach? Sarah's camp, 100%. So if you were looking for trouble between her and I, you <laughs> failed, Brian. Um, because she's absolutely right. It boils down to your personnel, your mm-hmm. roster, who you have as a coach, and also the, the, the organizational ideology of to rest players or not. Like the Spurs, yeah, they should be rested. They're all f- super old outside of Kawhi, more or less. That's completely fine. That's That should also happen. But like if you go to a young team like Detroit with Andre Drummond, Stanley Johnson, Tobias Harris, Reggie Jackson, hell no. Why should they rest? I mean, you know... Van Gundy has a point. They're young. They're getting paid a ridiculous amount of money. So why not? Look, and yeah, I do have this ideology that that the league today have gotten... I don't want to say soft, but I'm going to use the word anyway, even though it's a bit harsh, but I'm lacking an alternative. Because everyone now is complaining about playing too much. Yet, as Sarah alluded to... You have so much help nowadays to get the bodies right and everything. And people are like, oh no, 32 minutes a game, that's that's too much. <laughs> Look, I mean, going back, 35-year-old Michael Jordan played, what, 36, 37 minutes a game? Like, yeah. And not just, okay, I, ju- I just used Jordan as an example. That's stupid. But you know what I mean. Like, yeah. Older players, also in the 90s and 80s, they played a, a shit ton of minutes. I'm going to curse. I'm sorry. But they, they did, and it wasn't a problem. And they played, a lot of them played 82 games. And, and you didn't hear them bigger about it. And I'm not trying to set up the 90s versus current thing. That That's not the case. It's just, I do miss that players are just, sh- just shut the hell up and go play. Like, if you're tired, don't go to the media. Just go to your coach, say, look, you played me 45 minutes uh, over the last three games. Could you dial it down to maybe 37 in just for a week or so? That, fine, fine. And I also get not wanting to play them 48 or ridiculous amount of minutes so they get injured and, and get f- dramatically fatigued. But at the end of the day, salaries have increased. The person, you know, the the the, the training staffs have have grown more competent. The medical staffs have, have improved. What is the argument now for letting young guys rest and, and not even wanting to play them like more than 30 minutes at night, which seems to be where we're headed? Like, I find that a little bit soft. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you guys both bring up like totally valid points, especially, you know, Morton, as you say, the guys in the 80s and the 90s were playing a significant significantly more minutes and they had less uh medical help but also like you know teams didn't travel on private planes for a long time like they were flying commercial you're packing these like six ten dudes on a commercial flight where they you know they don't get these like luxury recliners for every player can't like sleep on the plane you're just Mm -hmm. curled up in these tiny little seats packed like sardines so and they took like threes so meaning they played near the basket yeah, they attack right. the basket a lot more, which is more physically taxing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, you know, in, in that sense, I can see why, especially the old school coaches and the older players are like, "Hey, what what gives?" You know, I played forty minutes a night and never complained. That said, there is you know a very 
obvious uh, risk of both overuse injuries, especially you know in a four games in five night stretch, um, and then also just your athletic performance wears down as you are physically fatigued. So as Sarah, as you pointed out, a lot of these teams have these like tracking devices now where you can literally see like okay, he is favoring his left knee a little bit more. We should give him a rest in practice just to make sure that doesn't get worse and lead to a more severe injury. So in that sense, maybe teams are just more attuned to their players' bodies than they were 20 and 30 years ago, and it just might be technology giving them that perspective. Uh, I will say I just haven't heard anyone in the NBA like publicly complain about their minutes, at least in a couple of years, or nothing like... Uh, as Sarah, as you and I are well acquainted with the uh, Chip Kelly era, where <laughs> right. where a lot of the Eagles players were saying like, "Hey, we are playing too much," or like, "We're practicing too hard," or like, "Are you know, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not playing uh, like we're getting three and outs, and then our defense is on the field for forty minutes a game, and we are wearing down by the end of the game." Like the Eagles routinely would just collapse defensively in the fourth quarter because of overuse. So. Uh, with that in mind, I mean, that that hasn't necessarily... You haven't seen that become, like, a systemic trend in the NBA. Uh, and, That's true. And, and Tom Haverstrow, again, has been a guy who has been tracking this really well. It's kind of... It seems like it's his pet project of, like, making sure NBA players have the appropriate amount of rest and recovery to maximize uh, their talent. Because, you know, we talked about this before with LeBron, like, how he kind of took it easy during the regular season and saved up so he had the energy to play a brutal seven-game series in the finals. So, you know, I, I understand where SVG is coming from, but I think all three of us are in agreement that, hey, it's up to your each individual coach. Like, as a Sixers fan, I do not, I you know, like, cognitively, I do not want Joel Embiid playing more minutes than his minutes restriction. Like, in my heart of hearts, I would love to see him play 40 minutes a game. But, like, there is a reason they are limiting his minutes as he works his way back from two foot surgeries, and I don't want him out there for twice as long just so we could pick up a meaningless regular season win against Orlando. Like, I don't care. His long-term health is the priority. So if it costs you a few wins, so be it. Mm. Like, I'd rather, you know, lose three more games this year and have him around for the next 10 years. Uh, So I I think those are all... uh, Fair points. What's up, Martin? Yeah, I, I agree with that because he's been injured. So that's an entirely different situation. I mean, I'm talking about players who are young and healthy. Yeah. Just so we we make it clear here. Right. Because right. obviously if you have a pattern of injuries, then yeah, you need to be on a minute restriction uh, and you need to be very aware of how many minutes you're playing and the coaching staff has to. And you, you have to be careful. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that players should go out and play a lot of minutes for the hell of it. Right, right, right. I, I'm, I'm, I want to make sure that people understand that I'm saying that if the coaching staff deem and training staff deem it fine that a player goes out and plays 38 minutes a game, then I don't see any reason not to. Mm-hmm. Like, And that doesn't mean that if they are in a blowout, I want them, hey, keep go, go out and play 38. No, no, then I want them taken out as soon as possible because, duh. Yeah. But I, but I, I wouldn't go as far as calling it like a problem if a guy has to play forty-five minutes in a game to, to take out a win. Like, sure. fair enough. That's the Thibodeau mentality speaking. <laughs> but it, it, hey, look, 
it worked. Yeah. 62 wins, yeah. and you had Boozer who missed a ton of time. You had Noah who missed a ton of time. If those two had been healthy throughout the whole season, that could have been a team that had flirted with 70. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then then what, right? That the whole mentality of the team would have changed. They might even have beat Miami just because they would have felt invincible. Right. So I'm just saying that perspective matters, and I, I understand where both of you are coming from. And, and I and I also get that some teams are in a different position than others. Yeah, I'm just saying don't don't be a wuss. Yeah, an NBA player. <laughs> that's, that's all I'm saying. Don't be a wuss. That's fair. Yeah, play. if you're on want minutes, if you're on Minnesota, you you could play a lot of minutes because you're all like under the age of 23, and all of yeah. us, all of us yeah. are not 23 anymore. So all of our bodies are breaking down a little bit. But we remember when we were 23, we could bounce back a lot quicker. So uh, just if you're complaining now, just wait five years. <laughs> so the other truly amazing thing that happened this week uh lebron and the Cavs hold a halloween party uh this past weekend and some of their decorations start leaking there is uh it looked like a, a pumpkin i think or a sign that had 3-1 lead and then the <laughs> bay area skyline they had uh, uh tombstone cookies with steph and Clay's name on it. It said 2015-2016. Uh, naturally, the Warriors took offense to this, and I think it, I forget which ESPN report. I think it was Chris Haynes, maybe uh, spoke to a lot of them or tried to get comment about it, and all of them were just very standoffish or didn't say anything. So, Sarah, talk to me here. Why? Why is this ridiculous? That. The Warriors are are taking such umbrage with what is actually a very funny joke. Well, I mean, I don't blame them. Um, it was probably designed to piss them off, so it's not surprising that they're pissed off. But um, I like Clay said, uh, yeah, I don't get it because I'm not dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, I'm with him. I don't really get it. They're saying that, you know... They were at the top of the game for a year, and that's that's dead now. Uh, whatever. Um, it it is. I don't think they're that upset about it because why should you be really? But yeah, I mean, let's face it. They they're no strangers to showing up their opponent. They don't really mind doing it. So if it happens back, whatever, you know. But it's just kind of funny. I can't believe that LeBron <laughs> really went all out with that party, didn't he? It was amazing. It's it's possibly like we're gonna have this segment every week. I don't know that we're gonna have a better story than this all year. Like that, <laughs> when when those leaked, it was like we need we almost needed to have an emergency podcast just to talk for an hour <laughs> about how great that was because that is just like a true masterclass of trolling. And I, I forget this image circulated on Twitter or like these three compiled images where it's like, oh really, the Warriors are complaining about about this, and then it's one story about like how they said they hope the locker room still smelled like champagne and mm-hmm. another one about like Steph turning around before he hits a three pointer. Like they preen. I don't know. Like, sorry, Bay area fans, like your team, it, that's what they did. That's what they did all of last year. So if you lose, you have this coming. And if you want to shut Cleveland up, beat them in June. But until then they're going to make these jokes and you have to take it because you lost and blew a three, one lead in the butts. So just wanted to sneak that in there. Uh, 
We're now going to debut a new segment, which is Morton's Brainchild. Uh, Sarah has repeatedly throughout the the years said uh, she's not super strong on CBA topics. And with the new CBA coming out soon, we figure this is a chance to teach her about certain things uh, regarding the business side of the NBA. Before we get underway, we're going to note that this is not a mansplaining section because... (laughs) Frankly, it's just going to be good for all of us to review these topics and, you know, it's going to help us all get a better understanding of these things. So this year, this week, uh, because the rookie extension deadline was October 31st, which was Monday, uh, we're going to talk about the fourth year extensions. So I'll start and just explain uh, the extension timeline. It starts from the day after the July moratorium ends, which is, you know, July 6th, 7th, somewhere around there, uh, up until October 31st. You can sign any first-round pick going into his fourth year to an extension. Um, you are not allowed afterward to do that. Then he becomes a restricted free agent. Uh, I think, you know, we're going to talk quickly about the values that each of these extensions, uh, the, uh, if they're good or bad values. And we have to keep in mind that, you know, compare. We have to keep these contracts. Uh, compare them under a hundred and three million dollar salary cap versus uh, a year ago under a seventy million dollar salary cap. So these numbers sound absurd, but if you translate them into what they would have been under a seventy million cap, like Victor Oladipo signed a four year, eighty four million dollar deal under the old cap that was somewhere around like fifty five to sixty million, which you know, that sounds more right. Like, you <laughs> you don't think of Oladipo as a $20 million-plus player, but 15 sounds reasonable. So this is just the new environment we're working in where, you know, two years ago he would have gotten $15 million a year. Now he's getting 20 He's just setting the bar for all future contracts of players of his caliber. Uh, so, Morton, before we start actually talking about the value of each contract, can you briefly discuss cap holds and why it made sense for some teams to sign these extensions now and why it made sense for some to wait. I would actually use a different example, if you don't mind, in regards to cap hold. Yeah. Because the cap holds are what allowed San Antonio to get LaMarcus Aldridge, for example. Yes. Kawhi Leonard, because he was drafted 15th, has a lower cap had a had a low cap hold. He wasn't uh, a, a, on a max deal. He was a rookie, and because he was on a rookie contract, which is significantly lower than his cap hold, which is the Brian. You have to assist me here. Is it one hundred and fifty percent of the last year? I believe it is. Yeah. So what it was is they could have signed Kawhi to this max extension. Correct. Before he hits restricted free agency, and then his cap hold would be his first year of, of his new salary, so a max salary. Yes. Whereas, yeah, if you if you don't agree, quote-unquote, really they agreed and just didn't actually sign him, then you get to keep his lower cap hold on the books, so you have more cap space to go sign another free agent, then go back and sign him to that max extension uh, yes. and exceed the salary cap doing so. It, it was just a timing thing, basically. So Kawhi's cap hold was about $7.1 million. If he had signed first, his cap hold of $7.1 million would have been replaced by his current figure, 
which is 17.6 million, thus not allowing San Antonio to sign LaMarcus Aldridge. But because his capital was that low, they could sign LaMarcus Aldridge first and via bird rights, re-sign Kawhi Leonard to a max deal. And Brian, bird rights. Yes. Oh, explain three bird rights. Three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm passing the torch. Okay. Three years. The whole three-year yeah. explanation. So if you have a player on your team for th- at least three years, uh, or if he's just under contract for three years, so he could get traded in, in the middle, uh, and then you still keep the bird rights. But if you have him for three years, you can exceed the salary cap to re-sign him. So that's what San Antonio did with Kawhi, because they had his bird rights. They, again kept his lower cap hold on the books, went out, made their free agent spending spurge, and then came back and uh, signed Kawhi. Because you can go over the cap using bird rights. Yes. 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 So, Sarah, did any of that make sense? Hopefully. this. It's like y'all are speaking a different language. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This is like a hell of a lot of numbers just flying at me. Um yeah, I do remember. I do remember signing Kawhi. There was some strategic timing there. Um, that yeah, I didn't fully understand why, but supposedly it was better for us to wait. Uh, that was a scary year in San Antonio, yes. <laughs> so we were pretty sure he was coming back. Uh, <laughs> you know, there was no guarantee. Um, so a cap hold is a percentage of a player's salary. Yes, of the of, yes of the the year before, I I do believe it's one hundred and fifty percent of what he earned the year before. Yeah. Okay. So uh, unless it's one hundred and twenty-five, I actually don't remember the percentage, Brian. But I believe it's one hundred and fifty. I think it's one hundred and fifty-two, and I don't want to complicate matters here. But the new <laughs> CBA, there is talk that those are going to go up to like two hundred and fifty yeah. that two hundred and fifty percent. So there will be uh, less way to kind of manipulate and you know, the mm-hmm. timing of it, basically. So at Kawhi, there would be less incentive to hold off uh, extending him because they wouldn't have had the space to sign LaMarcus anyway, which, you know, it, it made it, it made things particularly tough for teams this year because they don't know the new, the new system they're going to be operating in. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they, they sign these extensions and they just have to hope or have to assume that the new system is not going to screw them over in some way. Uh, so I think let's just go right in and talk about uh, all five of the guys who did these last minute extensions briefly. Uh, we'll just go yeah. down go down the list uh, in terms of most value to least value. So Rudy Gobert had the richest deal, four years, 102 million. It sounds like 90 million is guaranteed, and then there are yeah. three million annual incentives. Sarah, good deal or bad deal for Rudy Gobert? Ah. <laughs> uh... How the heck should I know, man? Um, it look, I mean, Rudy's going to be a big piece going forward. I don't really know if that's a good value or not, but it seems like with this exploding cap that's going on, it's probably going to be a pretty good deal. Yeah. Especially if it's only $90 million guaranteed. Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, we just have to keep in mind the price now looks inflated, but, you know, two years ago that would have been... Uh, probably 70 million total yeah like right right because if the cap is 100 now yeah so that would have been a four-year 70 million dollar deal which is like what ns cancer signed two years ago and i think it's safe to say you would much rather have rudy gobert moving forward than (laughs) ns cancer uh you know especially with utah they have gordon hayward becoming a free agent next year 
Derek Favors the year after that. They've got a lot of moving pieces. Uh, George Hill as well. Um, so yeah, it, it makes sense for them to lock in their core. Uh, Morton, you, you can take these next two because they play on the same team. Steven Adams, four years, $100 million. Victor Oladipo, four years, $84 million. Good or bad? Good, because then they are not going to waste assets. I don't believe that they intended on signing them to keep them. I think they signed them to keep them along for the time being, mm-hmm. so they have trade assets. If they had lost either, that would have been one less player that could have gone out and, and done something with. If Victor Oladipo doesn't really pan out, then he's movable, especially on that deal. Steven Adams might be a keeper. I think he will be a keeper, but should something show up that that could complicate his stay in Oklahoma City, he's movable as well. It's sort of like what Denver did, uh, I want to say, in 2010 or 2011. I don't remember. When they re-signed Nene. Mm -hmm. They actually didn't want Nene long-term. They re-signed Nene knowing that they were going to trade him. It wasn't a sign-and-trade, but they kept him on because they knew him walking for nothing would have left them with just cap space. And cap space is fool's gold. Right. They wanted to get like a free agent acquisition, and they knew that they weren't attractive enough for anyone to want to sign there. Yeah. So they re-signed Nene and sent him to Washington for JaVale McGee. So JaVale McGee became indirectly, quote-unquote, their free agent acquisition, Right. which is pretty damn smart and this is a strategy that small market teams have begun adapting um oklahoma city i guess you can describe them as a small market they are in market size but man that fan base is wacky and terrific and lovely so i don't even uh, i i feel i'm speaking down to a way of calling them a, a a small market team but hey i mean yeah uh, technically it is and that's why they're keeping their options open so now they have two assets that they can use if they want or, or keep yep. whatever they choose yep i totally totally agree that you know there was some so i, I think everyone knew steven adams deal was going to come in right around that range they actually got him a few million less than the max which is better than i expected uh there was a little bit of pushback at victor oladipo making 21 million dollars a year you know, even if you contextualize it in a $70 million cap, that's still a lot of money for a guy who has shown flashes but hasn't really put together a consistent season yet and might not be a great long-term fit around Russell Westbrook. But that said, Morton, I think you 100% nailed it. I don't think they will have trouble flipping Oladipo in a year or two if they need to, especially once more players are under these new cap contracts, so it's easier to balance... Um, salaries and trades uh and you know you can't you you can't trade Ibaka for Oladipo and Sabonis and then not re-sign Oladipo because then why yeah, or, or lose them for nothing basically. right yeah. like why did you why did you trade Ibaka then like what was the point you were afraid mm-hmm. of losing him you know if you let Oladipo test the free agent market next year there may be a team that has cap space and it gets really desperate and has an owner who's trying to push uh, his team toward contention right away, <laughs> Sixers. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think Oladipo would have would have gotten a uh, higher contract than that. You can uh, have issues with the value of it, but I, I kind of think Oklahoma City was pigeonholed in there. Sarah, I will contextualize this next deal for you before. <laughs> Gorgie Jang, four years, $64 million. 
the same contract that Timofey Mozgov signed with the Lakers. <laughs> with that in mind, good deal or bad deal for Gorgie? Well, I like Gorgie. Um, I also think, I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I, mean, I don't think it's going to handicap them in being able to hang on to guys like Cat or Wiggins, is it? Nope. So, yeah, no. so I would say that's a pretty good deal because you'd like to hang on to him as well. So, yeah, I'd go for it. And I'm really glad you just said that in regards to their cap situation because if there is a time the Wolves have to like make a big splash in free agency, it's this summer. Mm-hmm. They have so many guys who are going to be key pieces moving forward on their rookie deals. We're talking about Towns, Wiggins, Dunn, Levine. But as soon as their extensions, when they sign them and they kick in a year later, mm-hmm. then all that cap space is going to go bye-bye. Yeah, They need to capitalize right now. I actually thought this summer that they were going big, like going after Mike Connolly or something. But then they got Chris Dunn in the draft instead, so it made no sense. But I think this year they're going to go all out. They're going to swing for the fences of one of their uh, one of the top free agents to get him on board. And holy crap, a team they could have this summer just because that they kept their payroll down. Yeah. And if that means they have to trade Cole Aldridge, I'm fine with that. Right. Yeah. I mean, they... They were they're in a similar position that the Sixers are in as well. Like the Sixers have a lot of guys at rookie deals. Nerlens is the first guy. He did not receive an extension, so he will be a restricted free agent this summer. Uh, Embiid becomes ex- eligible for an extension next year. So basically, it's like it is do or die time for both of these teams. If you are going to make a free agent splash, you need to do it while your guys are on rookie deals. You might push against the luxury tax in a couple of years, but at that point, you know you can maybe trade one of them if you're really that resistant to being in the tax or just pay the money because you're probably going to have a team that's at least Mm -hmm. in contention for a conference finals berth if not a finals berth uh hashtag playoff revenue yeah right exactly that that'll help things uh so more at the last one your boy mj signed cody zeller to a four-year 56 million dollar deal what 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 do you think about that one i was surprised i actually didn't pick him as one of the guys who are going to get an extension like I, I thought this was going to be his make or break season we actually talked about this in one of our preview podcasts mm-hmm. like that was that was a display of devotion yeah unexpectedly I, I mean you know good on Cody but wow that's that's surprising I, I really don't know if I have any additional thoughts to it. like the value is fine mm-hmm. I, I don't mind the value uh, it seems like a low low risk kind of thing if he becomes significantly better, which, look, let's hope he does because he was drafted fourth, so <laughs> you know, he needs to get better real soon. Uh, th- then this deal is going to look amazing, and if he's going to look the same, then it's going to look, you know, not not bad, but decent. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's fine for... for Charlotte and for, for Cody, if he blows up, then he's probably gonna say, "Oh gosh, damn it!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just value-wise, it is definitely a below-market deal for a guy who could turn into your starting center. It's yeah. kind of, uh, I think, even better value than what Robin Lopez's deal right now is. And I would take Robin Lopez over Cody Zeller. But the point stands: like he could be a serviceable starting center. Uh, you know, making 14 million now, which would have been like 10 million under the old cap, 
that's a really good deal for Charlotte, and it's going to enable them to make other moves. You know, they've they've got a lot of their guys on these below market contracts. They somehow convinced them to sacrifice a little bit of money to stick together. So, I, I also did not expect him of all people to be one of the guys to get an extension, but good on him for doing so. I, you know, I think I don't think Charlotte's going to go to regret that deal, no matter how. Even if he stagnates and stays at the same level, I think he's a perfectly serviceable backup big man. Mm-hmm. And $10 million a year for that under the new cap is not that bad. Uh, Can we just talk about this new cap with all the money that's available now? Like, couldn't just $1 million out of these billions and billions of dollars land in the hands of the NBA podcast hosts? Just $1 million? <laughs> let's, let's, just, just one. We'll petition to Adam. Silver and yeah. see. We'll we'll see yeah. if we can get that into the new CBA somewhere. I would I would I would definitely appreciate that. Yeah, all That'd right. Be nice. uh, so let's end this week with our usual my crush segment. I'll be honest. I, I've been in Cubs fever all week, so <laughs> my crush is going to be pretty bad. But uh, I want to hear your guys first. So Sarah, who is your crush of the week? Well, I'm easing back into my routine of picking someone who torched the Spurs, so <laughs> it's, it's Rodney Hood for this week. Yes. Um, good. Yeah. The other night in San Antonio, he had 19 points, made four of eight threes, five rebounds. Next night, he, he gave Dallas 22 points on nine of 16 shooting, made two of four threes, seven rebounds, three assists, one steal. Um, so far this year, he's averaging... I think 17 points, 4.6 rebounds, shooting 44% from the field and 41 from three. It's just, you know, we talked about how much we, we like to jazz their whole roster this year and how much depth they have, but Rodney's not a guy whose name comes up a lot in particular. Um, and the fact that they're still mi- missing Alec Burks, like he, Rodney's playing really well for them. So that's big. Yeah. So he's he's my pick for this week. Yeah, he's definitely established himself as a big part of Utah's future. You know, they're also Gordon Hayward's still out for at least another week. Uh, so he's stepped in capably and kind of shouldered that scoring load with Hayward out. And Alec Burks is now out indefinitely again. You know, I think yeah. at this point you have to just kind of write him off as a sunk cost. So it's like Rodney Hood is going to have a stranglehold on that starting shooting guard job. You know, I, I think he's a big piece of Utah's future. I think. You know, you got to factor him in with Gobert, Favors, and Hoy- Hayward. Uh, so I really like that pick, Sarah. Nice work. Morton, Morton, how about you? Well, I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to select two, but it's okay because they played in the same game. Okay. Ian Clark and Jake Lyman. Ooh, ooh damn. Uh, Lyman, actually. Yeah. Deep league. That was really, I mean, the, the Golden State-Portland Trailblazers game. Mm-hmm. So you had Ian Clark going off for 22 points, eight of eight from the field, three triples, three free throws, no misses whatsoever, a true shooting percentage of 1,180. <laughs> I, I didn't know that was allowed. <laughs> no, it, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. And in the same game, Jake Lehman, 17 points in eight minutes. <laughs> what? Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah, rookie debut. He has not played since. Huh. Right now, his season average in the NBA, his career average in the NBA is 17 points in 8 minutes where he hit 5 of 7 from downtown. He was 6 of 8 from the field. His per, I want to read you the per 36 numbers oh, right now. please do. 
per 36, he's averaging 76.5 points a game, (laughs) 4.5 steals as well. He's also averaging 22.5 made three-pointers per 36 minutes. He has a PER of 96.3 and also a true shooting percentage above, and I said 1,000 before, that's because I'm an idiot, over 100, which is uh, 106%. And Ian Clark's game was was then 118 uh, percent, of course. Oh my god! So yeah, and that was fun. That was a fun night. Just retire. Yeah, right now. Yeah. Or just and he might because I'm not sure when he's getting in the game. Now. Oh, you know, he's probably carved out a little niche for himself now. But I was surprised he didn't get in the last game. But yeah, that was really a a, a good night for the bench and good night for the crush. That was for that one game. Uh, we should actually have a, like a plaque made up of the box score of that game <laughs> for our segment because that's just so fitting. Yeah, that is some real garbage time all stars right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, wow, yeah, I, Jake Lehman, good for him. He really should just he should just like start sucking in practice now, so the coach will not put him in. Just <laughs> preserve my stats. Yes. Kids, look at my stats. Yeah. Look, I mean, Michael Jordan didn't hold a candle yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's, yeah. he's yeah. coming for you, Steph Curry. Your <laughs> three-point record. Uh, so mine, I, I mean, again, uh, blame the Cubs for how crappy this pick is. It's not as under the radar as a Jake Lehman or an Ian Clark. Uh, but George Hill, I just think, needs to get uh, some praise because he's really playing well for this Utah team. Um Averaging 21.4 points, 4.6 assists, three rebounds per game. I mean, you know, he's long been one of those guys who just runs a team well but doesn't get the praise he deserves. In Utah, I think he's going to start getting that praise, especially once Hayward comes back. Like, he gives that team such an extra added weapon. And we talked about him uh, in our division preview when we were talking about uh, the Jazz and how, you know, last year they just had such below-average point guard play, and the upgrade from that to George Hill was going to be monumental. Like, he's a great two-way player. Uh, and I just think he adds, you know, that's why a lot of us were high on the Jazz this year, is because he adds so much to that team, especially, you know, with Joe Johnson and with all of their other imports, Dante Exum coming back, Trey Lyles rounding in the form, like, he is a guy who can really orchestrate that offense well. So I'm excited to see if he can keep it up once Hayward is back. I'm going to guess he takes a little bit more of a backseat offensively. And Favors is also rounding in the form. He missed his first couple games. Um, you know, I, I think he's also going to take more of an offensive load. So I do not think George Hill is going to score 21 points a game for the rest of the season. That said, just you know, props to him for really hitting the ground running in Utah and giving them, you know, once they hit their stride and once Hayward comes back, I, I think they're right in the conversation with the Spurs and the Clippers uh, for the best in the West and, you know, obviously the Warriors as well. So uh, that will do it for us here at the NBA podcast. Uh, thank you all for listening. You can again check us out on Twitter at the NBA pod. Uh, we'd like to always thank our host, Today's Fast Break. Check them out, todaysfastbreak.com or at Today's Fast Break on Twitter. Be sure to check us out on iTunes as well. Uh, until next time, guys, it's great talking to you and good luck to your Bulls today, Mort. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Talk to All you right. later. All right, take care, guys.
Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine and More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine and more. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Old moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's... A burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.